there has to be a plan. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, if you just turn up, it doesn't matter if you were the personal trainer or in a class, if you just turn up and the program is being made up as you go along, you're never going to get anywhere. There mm-hmm. has to be a goal. There has to be a plan in place. And then it has to be monitored along the way. You can't just leave it to chance and hope for the best. Welcome back to the Kill Humble Podcast. I'm your host, business mentor and personal brand strategist on a mission to inspire a minimum of five people a day to take action, do something different and show up as the best person that they aspire to be. Are you one of my five a day? Keep all your messages coming. Let me know on Instagram at Kelly Lundberg Official and let me know what you've been inspired by. Was it something on this episode? Keep them coming. It makes my day and it makes my guest day knowing that it has had such an impact. Thank you in advance for being one of my five a day. If you haven't already, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help secure even more guests to come on the show and it just takes a couple of minutes. Tell me which episode you like and it just draws more attention and more credibility. And in today's episode, I speak to Sarah Lindsay. Now, she is a three-time Olympian speed skater and UK and now the UAE's leading transformational specialist in body transformations. So she co-founded Roar Fitness, which is a personal training company that offers its clients Olympic training experience like no other in its field. And I've been very fortunate to actually experience one-to-one training with Sarah and um, it was incredible. And there were so many tips. We actually talk about a couple of them in the podcast that you can do straight away. She's had amazing transformations on the BBC and ITV in the UK, as well as many health magazines. You've got Men's Health, Women's Health magazine, and our passion, and you can really hear it in this episode, really remains on helping transform the lives and bodies of everyday men and women, but so it makes a lasting difference. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Sarah. It's great to have you. Thank you. We had a PT session last week. It was fun. How are you feeling? Really good. And I have to say that one thing that you'd said to me, I've been walking around, you said, just lift your stern up. And I've been walking around and I've really been conscious of it. Oh no, I hope that's a good thing. No, I'm really, absolutely, a really, really good thing. So I actually first read about you, I think it would maybe be a year ago or so in the Daily Mail. It was actually actually probably the the only good thing that I read. You know, Daily Mail is always like bashing everyone and everything. But what had come up was these amazing transformations that were happening at your gym roar, which was in London. So that was where I first read about you. And now you're here in Dubai because you've launched Roar here in Dubai. What was that, six, seven months ago now? Yeah, January. Actually. Yeah. yeah, January we opened. And yeah, so why don't we go and have a little bit of a back dive into what got you to where you are and a little bit about your journey? Gosh, where do you want to start? Wherever you pick. <laughs> The day I, think, I was born. <laughs> well, I kind of have two lives, right? Yeah. So I was I was an athlete for yeah. 20 years. I did a lot of sport when I was young. And then I had to decide which sports I wanted to specialize in. And I ended up, out of everything, picking speed skating. Just even that in itself, like how does someone Very get random. into it? Yeah. I know. How did you know you were good at speed skating? Well, do you know what? I think it's actually the fact that I was bad at figure skating. Okay. So I did lots of sports before and after school every day to run off some energy and give my parents a rest. And then I was going figure skating with a friend of mine. And then someone was talent spotting and asked me to try speed skating. And I did love figure skating. I love the athleticism and everything, but I wasn't that graceful. 
Let's just say that. <laughs> and I think I was kind of tall and everything when I was a when I was a kid. So I think I was naturally more athletic than I was graceful. Mm-hmm. And it just became something that I absolutely loved. And you're surrounded by all these amazing athletes in your club and people going to the Olympics. And I had an Olympic medalist in my club. So it was all very exciting, very, very quickly. So what age would this have been at? Eight. Oh, wow. Okay. So so young. young. Is that you know at eight years old that you're going to be an Olympic speed skater, but I really did. Wow. So, but you actually went on to compete in three of the Olympics. Was yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah. And right. you've won a gold medal in, was it the Commonwealth or? No, so we don't have Commonwealth in, so it's winter sport. And I won European gold. That's what I think then. Yeah, it was so like European, European gold. European yeah. gold and a world silver medal. Amazing. Yeah. So that career spanned, because in that, those kind of sports, you retire early, don't you? So I think you generally physically peak around mid twenties, but I think it depends on when you start, what your training age is, what you've put yourself through, obviously the type of sport that you're involved in and your injury history obviously plays a massive part in how long you can really last. So I retired at nearly 30, so 29, nearly 30. And that was definitely long enough. Yeah. I would say three Olympics is and, enough. <laughs> and it, absolutely. And did you know, you know, what you wanted to do next? No clue. Yeah. No clue. So I qualified as a personal trainer while I was an athlete. We took a month off or three weeks off a year. So at the end of season, we had three weeks rest and we're supposed to rest. And and I used the opportunity to do some education. And I mean, back then it was, you had three months of to become a personal trainer. So it's three months, six days a week, eight till six every day. So it was kind of intense back then. You can do it online now, but, but back then they didn't make it quite that easy. But so I did it over three years. So I actually qualified, I think I was 21 when I became a personal trainer and then, but I was still competing and I was still, I was still training full time. I became the national, the strength and conditioning coach for the national figure skating team. So I put a lot of that into practice mm-hmm. with that team. Two of my athletes actually went to my last Olympics. That was their first and my last Olympics. So that was something, a real accolade as a coach, something I was super proud of. Yeah. And then when I retired, I think because I already had that qualification and somebody had offered me a job at their gym, I just kind of walked straight into it without really thinking anything or making a plan. I just thought, right, I'm going to go do this and just see how it goes. Because I had um, Jessica, a Paralympian on here, and one of the things that she'd commented was, it's really hard once you've been in that Olympic, Paralympics environment for so long that you kind of lose a little bit of your identity. Did you find the same as well? I think everybody feels like that. I think everyone does. I think it's a really hard transition for a lot of people. Mm. There's a couple of people I know that that made it really easy and they were ready and they knew what they wanted to do. But in general, it's all you think about. For my whole life, all I thought about was, was skating and every thought I had and every decision I made was based around my next training session. It was so important. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing mattered as much as, as this sport. And you have all these all these physical feelings as well. You know, you have adrenaline every day. And I, you know, I had butterflies every single day, whether it's because I needed to perform or because, you know, I really want to skate fast times in training because it meant so much to you. And then you, you don't have that anymore. You don't have the, you know, that adrenaline and that need to get up and, and, you know, achieve all these things. And it's like, what, how do you find something that matters as much as winning an Olympic gold medal? It's this huge goal. And and you've put everything into it. And when that's finally finished or you've made the decision to retire, how do you find something that replaces that mm. that's as important? So I think you feel very understimulated physically and mentally, and you have to find something that you really, really care about again. So it wasn't until actually until I started my own business 
that that became like my Olympic gold medal. That became so important to me. But until then, I was a little bit lost. I will, I will admit that. So how did it get to the point of you starting your first business? So you go and work in you know, a friend's gym and then yeah. what kind of made you go, do you know what, I'm ready to do this myself? I think I, I just saw that there was quite a lot missing. There were things that I thought we can do this better, better. Yeah. you know, and I thought I would like this, I would like this. I would like this. And from my background, I thought that I was bringing quite a lot to the table. I had a lot of experience and with regards to performance. So I wanted just to do it my way, to be honest, and the way that I thought that it, it should be done. What are some of those things then that you've brought with you that are kind of like non-negotiables for you in, in the business or the brand? Like I've seen the, the gym itself, it's beautiful. So I know that attention to detail is really high on your sort of list, like you really yeah. like things looking lovely, but also functional. What else did you bring that was better? Well, that's a, that's a big part of it, right? So I'm from a performance background mm -hmm. and the gyms that we train in as athletes are just about performance. There's no luxury. Obviously, you know, you're just there to get the job done. And in personal training, a lot of the time, personal trainers will open a gym and it will either be maybe a bit under-equipped or, mm -hmm. you know, personal trainers generally aren't that rich. You know, you don't have that money to put into all the luxury and the, you know, the nice finishing touches and stuff that lots of people like, you know, it's, it's okay to like nice things as well. And I do, you know, I'm a, I'm a girl and I like, you know, my upholstery, for example, it's, you know, Bentley cross-stitch champagne, you know, upholstery. And it's, it's like luxury furniture. I don't want to sit on grubby old gym equipment. <laughs> Even though, you know, there's a place for it. And some people really love that. The nitty gritty, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it does for sure have its place. But I prefer something a little more refined. Yeah, but so that was one of your things. What else did you bring in? I'll just comment, actually, because I thought that was really interesting. All your weights are really different. You go up in different increments, which really caught me off guard when I was like, and you went, no, no, I prefer these and you think they work better. Yeah, I think it just depends what you're used to. But I see, you know, if a, a lot of our clients say might be middle-aged women, for yeah. example, if, you know, and there's a certain number that they'll hit on different lifts. So if you think of chest press, for example, if there's a four kilo jump, if they're only lifting up to 10 kilos, then, you know, that next step up is huge yeah. and then they can't lift it. So it's, you know, it's important to have smaller increments yeah. and you see, you know, the more you work with people, you see what sort of weights people work better with. So it was driven by that. that. It was driven by well. clients. Yeah. Yeah. So you decide to go and launch. How did you fund the first business? So, well, actually, this is my second. We won't get into the first business because it's a very long story. Another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. Have we got a 30 second synopsis or no? So when I started, I started a business, the first business that I did as a personal training company, basically I was in business with somebody and I was kind of set up, mm. you know, I was, let's say naive when yeah. I came out of sport and somebody I, I loved and trusted and, you know, set up and, and screwed over really. So it's very, very disappointing. Yeah. But, you know, now it's led to what we're doing now and I have no investment. We have complete control. It's just that it's me and my business partner, who's my husband. Yeah. And we have a very strong vision and mm -hmm. we, you know, we agree on that vision. So we get to do exactly what we want and how we want it. And we don't have to have input from anybody else. So it's worked out perfect in the end. But I think it's important and people listen that it's not like, oh, hey, and then I went and set up the gym and then I did that. You know, there's it's part not that easy. Yeah. I think anybody in business and anybody that's really driving and pushing their business and trying to grow it you will make mistakes, mm -hmm. things go wrong. Everybody that's really successful has some horror story. You know, it's so, so common and it was horrendous. Don't get me wrong. I know I, 
I'm very positive in my thinking and in the way that I speak and I turn everything around and it has been the best thing possible, but it was a really harsh lesson. Mm. And I think you have to be ready for that and you have to be resilient because there are always ups and downs. You know, lots of things have gone wrong along the way, but it's, can you come back from it? Do you get back up? Do you go again? The reason the business is where it is now is because we've not given up. There Mm. have been plenty of opportunities where you think, oh God, is this, is this worth it? Can I, you know, can I really do this again? But I think when you have, you give yourself no choice. Yes, just keep going. It's Mm. not over until you say it's over. So no matter what happens, if you keep pushing, the story's still going. What was the first gym that you, where where was it in London? Because you've got two. So the first Raw was in Liverpool Street. Okay. And then we expanded again into the city because that was small, because we had no money. It was small, you know, we painted the walls ourselves. It was a real sort of speakeasy, no signage, 3,000 square foot underground. But, you know, everyone loved it because we were in it. You know, it was super important to us. It was our comeback story at Mm. the end of the day. And, you know, we were busy very, very quickly. And then within the year, we were looking to expand. And was that busy because of word of mouth? Because I think that marketing, it's quite a saturated market in the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. But you you could see two gyms that were personal training gyms you know, showing before and after pictures, you could see from my door. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so- <laughs> the city, they're everywhere, you know. But I also like, you know, I don't, I don't want to put down anybody, anybody else, but I do think it's fairly easy to do it better. Mm. You know, and I don't know if that, if that's us being good or other people not, you know. In the terms of, of their standards of, and yeah. Yeah. The service in this industry really is lacking. The results that we get, you know, we have so many, we have thousands of results and that's because we care. We've put so much into it and we genuinely really, really care about every client that comes through the door. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. Because you are about transformations. Sorry? You're about transformations. Well, for me, that's good personal training. Yeah. Not everybody wants a transformation, which is, of course, you know, this transformation tag actually isn't that trendy anymore. But when I see the before and after results, that's just demonstrating that you are a good personal trainer because most people come in to change. Yeah. That's what people want. It's not for me to tell people they should only want to be strong or they should be happy in the body that they're in at the moment. And, you know, that is what we're taught. And we should be. We shouldn't be walking around feeling bad. But if somebody does and they want my help, I will help them. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell them that they should be happy where they're at now when I can help them achieve what they want. A better version of yeah, themselves. Why on earth not? So, how did the first? You've got a big celebrity following. So, how did the first celebs find about you in London? And I think it was maybe a celebrity that I read about in the Daily Mail. That's how I'd seen the transformation. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Who, who was that? God, I can't remember who it oh, was. No. But it was. But then I had looked and I'd seen there was a number of different transformations. Mm-hmm. So, um, how did that sort of happen? Actually, so while we were waiting to open, I have a really good friend of mine who is a journalist. And she said, let's do a transformation of me and I'll put it in the paper. Everybody's really interested. We get asked about this all the time. So, you know, let's do it. So we did, you know, it's a three page color in the mirror before and after, and she really went for it, you know, so that was amazing. So she really, she really helped launch because that came out, I think maybe two or three weeks before we opened the gym. So everyone was asking, we were getting loads of inquiries straight away. And then I think, I mean, I don't know how much you know about the, the, the sort of journalists and, and celeb links that there are. She sent me in a couple of people who I absolutely clicked with. And then they stayed clients. They did really well, put them in a few magazines. 
people that, that do magazines anyway. So, you know, they'll do the cover of women's health and women's fitness every year. So I got them ready for, for the cover of those magazines. And then it just kind of snowballs, I think, because if it's safe for somebody who's in the public eye and somebody who's really well known, then it's safe for the next person, you know, the next celeb, if you like, or person in the public eye. They know that they can go there. There's no paps. There's no phones on the gym floor. You know, everybody's left alone. Everybody's only training with their trainer. So there's nobody wandering around on the gym floor. Nobody's going to come up to you or anything. So, and actually everybody really embraced it and everybody became friends with, you know, all the clients. Mm. So it was a really, really nice community because you had to, you're so small, you're, you know, sort of sitting on each other's laps in reception just to get through the door. But I think that hustle and bustle really made people feel like they were somewhere really special. Because you're the, the gym that you have is you can't just come and use the gym when you want. It's no. you come that your your system is that you come, you work with a trainer, and then yeah, and then you leave. It's always been like that. Yeah, always. There's nobody ever on the gym floor without their trainer. So people come in for the result, not for just one-off personal training. People come in and they sign up for packages yeah. of eight to twelve weeks, and everything is designed for them. Their training program, their nutrition plan. You're very looked after by a team of people to make sure you get the results, to make sure you've got everything you need. Yeah. And that includes having a gym floor that is private and exclusive. It's never too busy. You can always access the equipment that you need to access with the right rest time. You know, as if you're waiting for 10 minutes for something, your training program's out the window. So that was why it was really important to me that we have a, a cap on the amount of people that are ever on the gym floor at any one time. So yeah. we spend a lot of time managing the gym floor and the hours that everybody's doing to make sure that we can always facilitate the program properly. It was something that I really liked that when, you know, it talked me through the whole process, it was really simple. It wasn't, you know, a case of, oh, you could do this option, this option. You know, some, when people give you too many options mm-hmm. and then you're like, well, I don't know. And you're like, okay, it's eight or 12 weeks. Yeah. Off peak, yeah. in peak. And it was like, you know, people it doesn't need to be. And it doesn't need to be complicated. And no. I love that you simplified the whole process and you're like, but we do everything as part of it. You know, the nutrition, the, yeah. this, this, this. And made it easy for something that people find really hard. It's daunting. Coming Mm. into the gym for the first time, and a lot of the time, sitting down, we have a consultation, super obviously friendly and relaxed and everything. And I just want people to start to feel comfortable in that environment. But you're asking people why they're here, what they're doing it for, why they don't necessarily feel good about themselves at the moment, so that you can find what their motivation really is. And people really open up and they tell you some very personal things sometimes. So you need to look after people. And I think taking away the thought process or decision-making, especially if people, you know, might get emotional while they're talking about those things. It's just like, here's the solution. This is what we can do. Mm-hmm. When you feel ready and comfortable, this is what we can offer. So what made you come to Dubai then? I mean, apart from the fact that it's beautiful, it's sunny, it's tax free. <laughs> Definitely not complaining about the sun or the yeah. taxes. Um, do you know what? We always wanted to go abroad. We always said, where's next? We really want to go abroad. And where was that going to be? I think it's nice to live somewhere else at some point in your life. You know, London's my home and I grew up in Surrey and my family are there. And of course I'm, I miss them like crazy, but I think it's very easy to become kind of small town minded and way too comfortable and just never experiencing other things. And holidays don't cut it for that. I think it's really, it was something that I really wanted to do was live abroad anyway. And then we actually came out here in lockdown. There wasn't, you know, sort of limited to where you could go. And a friend of mine was out here. So we, we flew out and we just kind of fell in love with the place. And to be honest, beforehand, it wasn't my favorite because when I travel or when I go on holiday, I like to really sightsee. I like nature. And 
Those things aren't necessarily here in abundance. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's very diplomatically yeah, proven. It's know, reality. Right? <laughs> but, you know, there's, Dubai has so much going yeah. for it. But then when I started to think about, and that's just preference, right? But when I started to think about living and working, actually the quality of life here is so ridiculously high. I don't know why, you know, anybody wouldn't want to be here. Yeah. Yeah, I've really, I've settled in fast. <laughs> I love it. Which for some people, they go through their moments where they need that sort of year or they need, you know, that time. But That's what everyone said. They said, give it a year, yeah. you'll settle in, you'll be fine. But it takes a little while to find your feet. And then I think when we got here, we stayed, we stayed right by the gym, actually. So in an apartment and I'm used to some space in Surrey. And we stayed in an apartment and I was I think I was two weeks in and I had a little mini meltdown, which is so rare for me. I'm emotionally pretty but, stable. But, but two weeks in, I mean, that's... Two weeks in, I was like, do you know what? I can't live like this. It's, I just felt really claustrophobic. But it was, to be honest, it was just the living situation. And then when we moved out to our place, we found the place we were going to be more permanent, moved out to our place and we got lots of space and much more greenery and everything. And I was like, okay, this is me and I'm good. And then that was it. I was like, no, I'm not going back. Yeah, this is good Find for me. Find my happy space yeah, for now. Absolutely. And then the family can come and visit. Everyone comes to visit. The family have all been over. All my friends have been over pretty much. Because, you know, you get a nice big place and you've got plenty of room to host people, which was really important to mm. us. So I actually gave up our place in London. <laughs> I know, which really felt permanent. It's like, wow, we're here now. And I say that, but I just go stay at my mum's anyway. <laughs> she lived like 10 minutes down the road from me. So now I've got, I've got the top floor of my mum's house. She's kind of given to me. So I can just so you leave stay there. there and yeah. it feels like all at home and everything as well. Exactly. A question from the business capacity. So as you grow, you're less on the floor, so mm-hmm. to speak, because, you know, and I guess it's hard because you're the one that's seen to be given the results. You know, I guess yeah. like PT, they, they, want, they want Sarah. So how have you managed to, because you couldn't scale in the way that you have your two gyms no, here without being able to do that. So how did that transition sort of happen for you? And what are the key pieces that you're doing now? Employ really good people. <laughs> Get really good trainers. My trainers are amazing. We have a, a quite a, a slow hiring process. Mm-hmm. People have to be very well qualified, obviously, in the first place to get an interview. And then people have to be trained through our methods that have got the results. We have brilliant communication. So like I said, it's a team effort. So we oversee the program and we oversee what's happening on the gym floor. We have PT managers that are there as the sort of go-between, if you like, to help the trainers and make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody's always learning. And that way I get to be a, a part of everybody's result. Yeah. You know, I meet everyone that comes in and it's, you know, I get to be a part of everybody's journey instead of just the people that I'm looking after. Mm. But you can't, you know, you can't do hours and hours on the gym floor and push the business forwards. It's impossible. Mm. You know, I used to do everything. I used to do all the admin. I don't even know how to log into our booking system anymore, but I used to do everything, you know, and it's, you just, if you were bogged down with the day to day, with every single email, then you can't think outside the box. You can't think about what's next and be creative because you're just putting out fires. You know, we've got a lot of staff and there's a lot going on. There's always things happening. So yeah, you need to be that little step away sometimes so that you have headspace and you can think and, you know, think clearly and come up with new ideas and think about what we're going to do next. It always used to be on holiday. It's like, right, we need more holidays because Every time you go away, creative time. Yeah. Well, you take a couple of days to wind down and, you know, the emails slow down a little bit because you're away. And then you just suddenly start thinking things. You think, wow, what if? And that's when you come up with the real gems. And Mm. that only ever happens on holiday. So I've tried to design my life in a way where I have lots of space to actually think as well as do. 
mm. which has become really important. Well, tell me a little bit about the process that you go through with a client, because, you know, the results that I've seen on the wall, like incredible. So what is that whole part? Because lots of people go to the gym and mm. lots of people hire personal trainers yeah. and they don't get the results and they don't get it in the sort of 12 weeks or eight weeks. So yeah. What is the sort of, you know, the secret, but what's the, the steps that you take clients through? There has to be a plan. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, if you just turn up, it doesn't matter if you were the personal trainer or in a class, if you just turn up and the program is being made up as you go along, you're never going to get anywhere. There mm-hmm. has to be a goal. There has to be a plan in place. And then it has to be monitored along the way. You can't just leave it to chance and hope for the best. That never worked. Hope is not a strategy. Anyone, no. <laughs> and to be honest, everybody does better with a really good coach. You know, sometimes people feel awkward or weird or they, you know, they've trained plenty in the past and they don't want a personal trainer. Like, well, I know plenty. But it's difficult to make your own plan. You know, I always use a sporting analogy for this, but as an Olympian, no Olympian goes to the Olympics without a coach. Yeah. You've got 15 people looking after you and you're the most talented and the most, you know, with this huge goal that you really want to achieve and you'll do anything to get there. You still can't do it on your own. It's fine to ask for help. And lots of personal trainers have coaches as well because they can be objective and it's not all just on feeling. Sometimes, you know, you've got to stick to stick to the facts and stick to the plan and not make emotional decisions around it and just follow through with what you decided you were going to do, measure it, monitor it, see what happens. And then you can make adjustments along the way, but it has to be fact-based. So, and you've said, so you've got the gym piece. We talked about something and I had said, I hate running. And you were like, yeah, you focus a lot on strength training. And that's kind of also one of the the strategy pieces. Am I right? And saying it's part of it rather than you need to go off and do cardio. You were like, no, if you commit to this three days a week and do your strength training, you will get the results. All those results were done with three times a week training. You know, some of them four. And weight-based. All weight training. Why, why is it that people don't love weight training and think that they need to kill themselves? I think on they a... don't like the idea of weight training. I don't know anyone that weight trains and doesn't like weight training. Agreed. Well, for, for speaking from experience. Yeah, but... and people have their thing as well. Is you know, if people like running and that's been always what they've done and it works for them and they enjoy it and they get lots of endorphins and everything else, then they want to, you know, champion their side. So <laughs> if you say, no, running works for me, well, fine, it, it works for you. But that's because you do running and you don't do weight training. And I'll never sort of poo-poo any exercise. I think, you know, if you do something that you love and you enjoy it and it helps keep you in shape and you feel good, Mm. then, you know, then by all means do that. But everybody can benefit from weight training. No matter Mm. what your goal is, weight training is useful. There's a crossover from weight training into every single area of your fitness. Even if you think of running, which is kind of the opposite, the opposite ends. I'm not like, I'm not anti-running. I'm just, you know, I just It's just we, we had a bit of a, yeah. a conversation <laughs> a on little, running. A um, little rant. Well, there's no cardio equipment in my gym. Mm. We've got modified strongman stuff. It'll get your heart rate super high if that's your concern. But I don't think you, you should pay a trainer to watch you run on a treadmill unless you're going through running technique or something like that. And it's a technical coach. But yeah, just as far as getting the result goes, that is lazy personal training as far as I'm concerned. You should be coaching yeah, actually, now to think about it, I had a personal trainer, I don't know, maybe about eight years ago, and he would stand for 10 minutes and watch me run. The first mm. 10 minutes, that's the, the, I didn't think about it till now. So. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit of a, little bit of a warm up, but I don't think that you need to run. Yeah, to but you could up. do that before, you know, yeah, could you could come in and yourself. do it and we'll start. Uh, You've only got an hour. Yeah, You've exactly. got to make the most of that hour. And I think a 10 minute run is a bit of a waste of time. 
How do you ensure that clients sort of maintain their new body and their new habits? I guess that's at the end of the day after the 12 weeks. Well, that comes down a lot to education. Mm -hmm. So if you educate your clients through the process and they know why they're doing what they're doing. So most people do 12 weeks, you know, it's three months and that is definitely long enough to get into these really good habits. And you've carved that time out of your diary, three hours a week to go weight training. So continue you know, it's much easier to maintain the body that you've got than to get there in the first place. Mm. So if you carry on with weight training, then you'll maintain your body. And of course, the food comes into play as well. And I think that's where a lot of the education comes. When you know why you're doing certain things, like why would you not do it anymore? I think you're much more likely to make those, you know, the right decisions if you know the reason behind them. So I think as clients, taking the responsibility of asking the questions if you don't know something, you don't understand something, or you want to know more about it, ask. Yeah. Always ask. You know, get you take as much away from this as you absolutely possibly can, because that's where you're going to keep those things implemented. You mentioned the journalist that that was kind of your first transformation yeah. that kind of got the media coverage. Yeah. And you've never technically paid for advertising. It's all been word no, of mouth. Never and- done. Never done marketing. Not that there's you know there's anything there's anything wrong with that at all. It's just. I really like our community and everybody brings someone. So you get a new client and they'll know somebody who's been before or done it before and has raved about it or somebody at their office or people walk around. They are your marketing. Do Mm -hmm. a good job in-house. And then people walk around talking about it, telling people why they should do it. Or people are asking them, oh, you're looking good. What are you doing? Or, you know, so then people, people talk and it's, it's still a relatively small business. Yeah. So, you know, everybody brings somebody. And I think that means that everybody knows each other and everybody has a link. Well, you've seen it in the gym. Mm. You see people oh, straight them. away. Yeah, yeah. Right. just in reception yeah. before I mean, Dubai's kind of small, right? But that happens. That's London as well. Everybody yeah. knows somebody that's training at Raw, which I really love. You have people though, in London traveling like quite a distance because yeah. that was something that I had said to you about, you know, well, people travel 30 minutes in Dubai. And you're like, no, people travel three hours. And I was yeah. like, no way. And you said, no, you genuinely had one client that traveled, what, was it three hours on a train? Oh, we had, we had a client who was coming down from Newcastle three times a week. So, I mean, Newcastle to London, what's that, three, four hours? Yeah. I have some, one of my, I train a couple of people in London when I'm back, who I always want to train because I just love them and they've been with me for so long. And one of the people that I train, Andy, he comes down from Leicester to train. So he gets on the train from Leicester and I don't know, hour and a half, two hours. So uh, that's never uh, something that you think, well, I'm going to set up here because people won't travel. You're like, no, people will travel. If people really want to do it, then mm. yeah, they'll travel. And I've tried to, I know lots of people want to be part of Raw and you do have to be, it does have to be close enough. You do have to be able to afford it. And I understand it's not achievable for everybody. So I set up this class concept actually, which I did during lockdown because nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were closed. So we set up this class concept. So we have a class studio in just in Kensington. So again, it's only if you're local and you can get to it and it's a small class, but it's all filmed. So there's a camera at the back of the room. It fills the, films the instructor at the front and they're all filmed live. So you can join in live or they're all archived. So if you just go onto the platform, you can just do those workouts whenever you want. So it just meant that so many more people could be involved. Part just, of the community. Just stick it on your telly, yeah, and you, can, and you can join in. And I think it really does make you feel like you're part of it. You do feel like you're in the room, yeah. which was such a nice thing to do. So we have, you know, our, our reach has become much, much wider because of that. So our community's grown loads, which is super nice. 
What have been some of the other sort of, I say, transformations or experiences that people have gone through that you've gone, oh, I'm so proud of that. Anything you want to share? I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, when people tell you why they're there and it becomes, it can be really, really personal. I think, and I don't want to sound sexist at all because, you know, the, the guys do great too. But obviously just coming from a woman's perspective, you know, we have a, a lot of women that come in and they feel awful. And, you know, when, when a girl is lacking confidence, their decisions are different, you know, and you, I know, and so I, I get really into it and I really do, I really do love it. And that's where my job satisfaction comes because I know what they're going to go through. I know how good they're going to feel by the end. And, you know, it starts about three weeks in and you know that you've got control of your body. You know that it's changing. You know that it's going to happen and it's just a matter of time. And that's when you see a shift, you know, people's body language, the way they speak and hold themselves and new clothes. To, yeah, new clothes. <laughs> they start to really look forward to, to training on the gym floor. And when those people leave who stood there for their before, no one wants their before picture taken. You're there, you're not feeling good. You know, it's, it's awful, but it's good to show progress. And I would never use pictures without people wanting me to, you know, the pictures that you see, it's 1%. The 1% of the results, you know, it's just the people that say yes to using them, which is a very small amount. But yeah, when people leave and you, like I said, you give a girl confidence, it changes every single decision and thought that they have. First thing you think in the morning is something good when you get dressed and you look at yourself instead of trying to hide your body and nobody should feel like that. So when you dress and you're enjoying it and, you know, you speak to the next person in a more positive way, they respond differently to you. And then everybody around you starts to change and the decisions you make and you, you know, with conviction and, and real confidence and that physical confidence is not just looking better. It's feeling stronger as well. When you're physically capable of doing anything and you know that your body is badass, you know, you're in this amazing vessel that then that crosses over into every other area. Always, always it has to. So if there's someone listening there going, I feel really bad about my body or about myself and they're feeling, you know, depressed, what would you say to them? I think, you know, you have to, when you're ready, you have to take action. You don't need to feel like that. And a lot of people feel like they've tried everything. You know, they've done everything, they've tried everything and it's just, you know, doesn't work and they think there's something wrong with them. And the the chances are there's nothing wrong. You just haven't found the thing that works for you or the thing that you enjoy doing. Consistency is everything. It doesn't have to be this huge, great goal and commitment. You know, if you just start with a small step, just find one thing that you enjoy doing, or even if it's just 10 minutes, you know, just get outside and walk for 10 minutes every single day. And you carve out a little bit of time for yourself to do a little bit of exercise or a little bit of activity, just go for a power walk. And then that becomes habit. And I think actually that was something that we saw. The only good thing, in my opinion, to come out of lockdown was that people carved out this time to go and do exercise. And then that became a habit for them. So then when people started to go back to work, they continued to exercise and that became important to them because it was the only thing, you know, you're allowed to do. So I think you just have to start and start small, start to enjoy it. And, you know, remember that you deserve to feel good. Mm. You know, you have to look after yourself. Nobody else is going to do that for you. So it's just taking baby steps. One of the things that I've been doing for the past month is I've been really focused on getting my book in because I need to submit it by a certain day. So I've said no to meeting up with anyone unless it was exercise and walk related, which is a bit tough in the middle of summer to go walking, but it's worked on a couple of occasions. And that's something that I would always say to someone is maybe instead of being inclined to meet them in the bar 
or go and do this just meet a friend to go and walk and then two things come out of that one you get your step count in without realizing it so you're moving and then the other aspect is you get a far better quality of catch up with that person and I feel I remember when I told my mum before I was uh, before when I was back in the UK I said next month I'm doing nothing and she went well you can't tell people that and I was like well I can and she said but that's really rude to say that you're prioritizing your book over them and I said no I'm prioritizing my book and exercise will still see people, yeah. but in this format. And it worked so well. Yeah. So oh, I, well. I agree. I think we, the way to meet up with people is to go and have a drink. Like, why is that? Mm. Why do we have to have a drink? Why do we have to drink alcohol to socialize? Yeah. Isn't that worrying, really? And I think the amount of times that you just have like your drinking friends, and then, you know, if you go for a walk with them and you suddenly realize, hang on, I've not actually talk to this person sober for years. Yeah. Do you, what do you really know about them apart from their happy, you know, slightly tipsy in a bar conversation? Do you really even know these people? So I think you do get to have real conversations with people. Yeah. If you take it somewhere else, take the socials somewhere else, you just don't have to drink. And, you know, we're grown ups. If you don't want to drink, you don't have to. You're in charge of your body. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as peer pressure as far as I'm concerned. Do you tell people they have to stop drinking for the 12 weeks they do the programme? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather soften it. No, so, you know, it depends. It depends what you want. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you want the best result possible, I will tell you how to get the best result possible. If you want to be, you know, lose as much body fat as possible, for example, in that 12 weeks, I'll tell you how to do it. And I won't tell you that alcohol is going to help because it won't. It's mm. the worst, right? It will not help. So I always think, right, is this going to help your result or hinder your result? And what do you want most? You can drink forever. You know, you can drink afterwards or, you know, there's always another drinking opportunity. You've got this one chance to come and do 12 weeks Mm. and commit to yourself. You know, like I said, reward your body, look after it because you love it. You know, not, not because you don't like what you, what you see, but I think I don't think it's that big a deal. I understand that social situations can be tricky, but if you don't want to drink, don't drink. Mm. If you do, then, you know, the result won't be as good. And one or two occasions in that time isn't going to kill it. But if you want to drink every weekend, then the result isn't going to be as good as it could be. Don't book a holiday, an all-inclusive holiday in between your 12-week (laughs) programme. Yeah. I've loved everything that we talked about. And I know we, we talked about so much on the gym floor and I was like, no, we must keep this for the podcast and we must keep this for the podcast. What's happening with Roar next? I mean, what are your plans? I mean, for the next sort of three, five years, are you happy with the three? Do you want to open more or what oh, do no, you we're, see? We're planning more. Yeah. I try and keep it really fluid. So I don't like having really hard, a really hard path because so much changes. So I know that we'll look to do the next one fairly soon, mm-hmm. but that process can be slow, right? So you're always thinking about it. So when you find the next one, you'll also find the one after that at the same time. You know, these things just happen. In London, we opened two very close together and it's just because one lease took longer than the other, right? So then ended up becoming like so much in such a short period of time. So, but you can handle it. Yeah. You just have to keep moving, keep moving forwards. We never sit still. We're always thinking and looking for the next move, but I don't know what it is yet. Mm. And I was yeah. going to ask, I know that you're probably not going to share with this, you and your partner came up with this name. Yeah. And um, what does it mean? I won't tell you. <laughs> um, 
it's, you know, it's a, it's an acronym and it's a secret acronym and nobody apart from us knows. And I love that we have this thing between us, but it's part of our journey. It's, you know, talking about, I mean, really around the comeback, because that's when we came up with the name and it was, it's kind of our mission statement, if you like, in just, you know, four words that was, that was really, really important to us. And it's like, when you get bogged down with things or, you know, you get sidetracked or whatever, it's always come back to, to that amazing name that means so much. And it just turned out to be quite a cool name. Yeah. Because you your know. mum keeps that. Your mum doesn't even know. No. And she keeps know. asking. My COO doesn't know. <laughs> no, it will always, it will always just be between us. People ask all the time. Yeah. But I, sometimes I just say, oh, it's just a cool name. I yeah. just like it. You know, it's, it's powerful. And I think it used to be raw fitness as well. So it was always raw and then obviously fitness underneath. But nobody ever used fitness. So we just ended up dropping Talking. that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's just, it's way cooler just to be, just to be raw. And if people don't know what it is, like they'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love it. I always like to close up a podcast with asking some fun, impromptu questions. Ooh, okay. So this is from my little box of a game that I have. Esther Perel, relationship coach in, in America, has this really fun game. And I do it a lot with my friends. So pick two or three cards and... One at a time? Uh, yeah. I feel like maybe you planted this. I wish I could still get away with getting drunk and not being on social media. <laughs> I thought it would totally be food related no, or something. No, I can, I'm fine if I, I, eat, I eat what I want. But, but yeah, I think that social media has everybody so conscious and, and thinking about every move they make. And I think, you know, as, and think about teenagers now or people in their, you know, early 20s and stuff like if my life was out there from then, I mean, God forbid. So I think, you know, people's behaviors must have really change to keep these well, just things. nothing goes on well just nothing happens because you're always worried and always thinking about it. but I you know if I go out and drink I definitely drink less when you're with people who are social media happy yeah yeah because you don't know what's gonna go out there you know and you, you can just cringe it doesn't have to be anything awful obviously but you know just things that you might say or the way you're behaving or even just like some slurred speech just looks so a bad horrible yeah. yeah it's just a really bad image so so yeah I think that's a, it's a little bit of a shame. See, I wish that that wasn't, that wasn't a thing anymore. I was a holiday rep for four years <gasps> and I'm so glad that <laughs> social media wasn't around in those days. Imagine. Wasn't well, that there. first holiday, that first holiday when you leave school and you go away with all your mates and everybody behaves like total trash bags. You know, that being on, yeah. being on social media just never goes away, you know. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. answer Thank another God. one. I was born in the 80s. <laughs> okay, next. At a party, you'll find me hiding from cameras. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Hiding behind my sunglasses. No, I am always propping up the bar. Mm. I'm always the person sat at the bar ordering, making sure everybody's, you know, well watered. I'm always like keeping a check on everyone's drinks and ordering for people. So yeah, it's usually my pure is sat at the bar. Very good. Let's have one for the road. Seeing okay. as they've all been one quite um, drinks focused. I know, both <laughs> drink focused for a fitness professional. Let's see. Oh no, I'm most competitive when it comes to hmm currently golf. Really? Oh my goodness. And competitive with myself, never with other people anymore. I've served my time as a as a competitive athlete, but I'm so bad. I hate being bad at stuff and you know, I keep arguing with myself and giving up on myself and then starting again. And I mean this happens literally within a few minutes of each other. You know, I hate it, I love it, I hate it, I love it and I'm terrible, I'm brilliant and terrible, brilliant. So I think really, really hard on myself. I'm trying to ease up on myself and try and enjoy it a little bit more. 
And everybody says, oh, you'll love it in no time at all. You'll get good. But I'm still yet to see that. I but thought, I'm persistent. <laughs> I thought that, that golf was a game that even when you are amazing and great at it, you still have really bad days. That's what I'm worried about. That's what people say. But I don't mind like the one odd bad shot. But for example, I mean, I've only been doing it for what three, four weeks, right? So I'm obviously not supposed to be good yet, but I just don't really see the progress. And I really want to be able to do it. I want to be good enough to go and play and go play with my friends or I get invited to these charity games and stuff. And I want to say yes, but I couldn't right now. It would be <laughs> You've the, only been doing it four weeks. But how long does it take? How long does it take to get even just a bit better? Because I swear I'm getting worse. <laughs> so yeah, I'm competitive with myself, not with other people. Currently it's golf and it'll be something else. It's by the end enough, of the I'm year. Sure. Yeah, for oh. sure. I have so loved our chat today and oh, just learning a little you. bit more behind the, the scenes and the journey and just empowering men and women to feel great in the body that they're in and, and make the best enhancements they can for themselves. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website, Brand New Creators, designed by our in-house team. And we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility, build industry authority, lead change, motivate and profit. Who doesn't want that? I look forward to speaking to you soon. Until next time. Bye.